here we are with Godbound, Evicting Epistle, episode introduction. So, oh, I guess we have seasons. No, we don't. It's just episode introduction. It is August 2018. I'm Devin the Referee, and to my left we have X playing Y. Nicole playing Thea. Tyler playing Mateel. Kevin playing uh, the Crimson Marquis. Peter also Zay, so the Goat Headed. Mark as Lothar. Alright, gang, so we are back with a full group. We got everyone together for this time, so there's six of us. So, uh, I guess we gotta introduce this game. Yep. We're playing Godbound. You remember Godbound, listeners. It's that OSR game that lets you play Mythic Demigod games that doesn't take 45 minutes to run a turn in a combat. Unlike other similar games. Um, it came out with a book recently called The Lexicon of the Throne. Lexicon of the Throne introduced uh, an entire doubling of the words available for the Godbound characters. And they're all really fun and weird and stuff. So we're all pretty stoked about that. Um, Alright, how do we want to break this down? So I think, all right, so the premise... Premise, setting, characters. Fuck, okay, here we go. This is me talking. <laughs> Alright, so, the premise of the game is we're not going to use Arsum uh, because we didn't want to, even though Arsum is pretty fun and we used it for living years for great effect. Um, so we have our own setting that's actually kind of made up of a bunch of other bits and pieces of games from, like, Nicole and I's past, like, back when we first started gaming and stuff, that has been kind of stitched together. So this setting is called the Evicting Epistle, or the Epistle, or Fui, depending on who you ask. And it is just a big smash-up of all these old D&D stories and ideas that we've had previously. If any of you listeners are eagle-eared, you'll have probably caught a lot of these references as they show up in Blackstar, the Stars of Numbers game. We have references to the Epistle showing up in Exalted and other Godbound games. They're kind of everywhere. I reuse the ideas a lot, and this is kind of where it all originally came from. That's been brought to the forefront. So, um, the Epistle is a flat world in a void full of chaos and stuff. It's very much like creation, but a little less interesting or a little less imaginative. <laughs> it's much more straightforward D&D. Um... The time period is a Hyborian Age sort of deal, where it's a lot of Paleolithic societies and stuff, living in the shadow of like a very advanced, not advanced, but a very powerful sort of natural magic influence. Um, and that's all been disrupted as shit, because people from the future, the end of time, where technology and advancements gotten super advanced and complex, um, have run out of resources and run out of hope and have destroyed their future to go back in time and colonize their own past. Um, they're not currently coming back from the future. They're here from the future, and there's no way back to the future. They're, they're in the past, and they're going to take over. We uh, sketched out five or six of these colonies that have set up shop on the map, um, and they are shockingly advanced and alien compared to the small groups of people that live on the map right now. Um... Okay, so uh, we ended up writing up a 18-page setting treatment for this, which will be available around, you know, it'll probably be in the link in the description, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, the world is ancient and full of magic and critters and monsters and weird things and calmness from the future, so they're bringing in uh, advanced magic technology and stuff. Um, yeah. 
So, the world is governed currently by three gods that are D&D-style, big-idea Greek gods. Um, you have Father Faust, who's all about order and technology and progress and being able to turn things into things with things. Um, you have Fui, who is called Mother Fui, who is the name of the setting, but the name of the Earth is named after her. And she is nature and chaos and the unpredictable uh, wrath of nature. And then the third is Caparaca, who is the concept of objective evil, who is uh, stylized as a giant screaming maw uh, that's kind of like a black hole underneath the plate of the world trying to drag everything in. Uh, fun fact, if when people die, if they don't worship Foster Fooey, they go to hell, even if they're good people. You gotta worship Foster Fooey, and your reward for worshiping them when you die is you get to stop existing. You just go to nothing. But if you don't, go straight to hell. Everyone goes to hell if they don't worship Foster Fooey. Even little babies. Tortured forever. Um, hell is a nightmare. It's full of things called Hell Lords, which are things of great power that have set up shop in there and are... Uh, selfish and mean and terrible and have their own sort of world and their own set of demons and angels. Um, the epistle itself has natural empires. Uh, the first is the Pinnacle, which is a race of elvish creatures that are considered absolutely perfect and have never been harmed or injured or killed and are beyond death and age. Uh, there are things called Takers, which are basically primordial dragons, but they're weird and they eat facets of reality to protect it from breaking down. Uh, things called the Breakers, which are titans. They're big things that wander the landscape and extort people for worship and protection and wealth and pleasure. Uh, so, you know, giant wolves, giant hands, you know, actual giants, that sort of thing. Now, last is the Iconoclast, which are an empire of uh, weird alien creatures that love to have slaves and are, even though they were made by a god, they were made by the forge god Foss, they're actually an entire race of atheists that refuse to believe for various funny reasons. But they're a nightmare. They live in crystal islands and weird pyramids full of, you know, ether smoke. Uh, the colonies that are on the epistle is Fortress Horde Manticorp, like a manticore. They're a, you know, greedy capitalist society where everyone's an employee and the entire nation is itself is treated as a company with shares. The Julius Anarcho Collective, which is a group of uh, specialist, basically wizards, magic users, scientists, and experimenters that live in an anarchistic society that only gets by on favor trading and uh, social standing driven by, like, contributions to each other. And they've lash themselves together under mutual protection, even though they hate having to work with one another. Uh, the Unity Broadcast Network, which is a society of psychers that erect mind spikes that put everyone together in a hive mind, um, that are a truly unrestricted democracy. Everyone votes on every issue of society all at once at all times, and they're really good at indoctrinating new people into it. Uh, Free Energy Nocturnus, which is a society of the dead. They use the dead to create a higher standard of living because you could have limitless, endless automation, and uh, they use that to create post-scarcity societies. The Iscarian Helldivers, which is a society of people in the future that were used to kill and win the war on Hell. All of Hell was destroyed, and they were the people that did it, or they're, they're the remnant of the society that did. And their whole shtick is they're a Klingon honor culture that rams demon parts into their society to make themselves stronger. And the last one is more of a coalition. It's called the Moon of the Machine. It's people who couldn't afford to go back in time, who hijacked a time portal, and just show up and set up uh, mech facilities to protect themselves and their cultures. 
And that's sort of the crash course uh, on the world. There's a lot more stuff going on. It's 18 pages. I'm not going over it in an intro. <laughs> Peter wants to do off topics where we talk about things in more detail, so that could probably be a thing. Yep. Um, that's me. Who wants to start talking about their character? I'll start. All right, Tyler, talk into the mic. Okay. <clears throat> so my character is Mateel. She's a pirate queen. She's a female satyr. She stands nearly six feet tall. She's got short brownish fur that's been shaven in bands around her arms to allow for tattoos. She's got long, tightly curved horns that wind in a spiral and are etched with various markings. She wears extensive jewelry, bands, bangles, earrings, all gold. She moves with an effortless, easy dancer's grace because she was formerly um, an enslaved dancer of the Hyper Elves. Um, her whole shtick is that uh, she believes that the strong oppressing the weak is wrong. Uh, even though it's the natural order of the world, and as a result, she's setting out to try and change that natural order uh, to a more harmonious collective of all peoples and individuals. What words do you have? Uh, what my words? My words are sword, freedom, and dance. Nice. And you're a sky pirate queen. You don't float in the water, you fly in the sky. That's right. I am, I am in fact, a sky pirate. I pilot the ship called the Furious Kitten. I'll go next. My character is the Crimson Marquis. He is an ancient vampire lord who came from the future to settle the past with his group of people. They've kind of changed over the years, throughout the years, just sim simply because uh, the people of the future gene modeled themselves constantly. No one was really human. Well, humans are more of a weird hybrid off-cast race. So they've just changed over the centuries. He's been there since the beginning. And he's kind of a traditionalist in that he thinks that, you know, people need a central figure, both god and a king. And he's very much about spreading his religion via secret society, setting them up, turning, you know, important people into vampires like him so that they can affect changes from within. He has the words of uh, Lich King, which I've kind of flavored over to uh, Vampire Lord. It was very easy. Uh, engineering and cities. He is formerly an architect as well as an inventor, simply because he's lived so long. Um, yeah. What does he look like? Ah, yes. Um, he actually kind of looks like the Galra race from Voltron, if anyone's yeah. ever seen that. Yeah, he's kind of got dark purple skin, red eyes, darker purple hair, uh, very weird alien features. Yeah. I think that's me. Okay, I guess I'll go next. So I'm playing as Azazel the Goat-Headed, the same character sort of from the Storms of Yijiao. So he's a godbound of artifice, fertility and dragons. Because that's a new concept world around there. So, um, he's a large brooding beast uh, that's a man-goat, four horns and so on, black fur. Uh, he's a half-spectrum emperor, which is a dragon in this setting, and half something else. And yeah, he's been like, a slave to a breaker at some point, he's a theoretician, and he's currently just roaming the world, being an outcast, like he is, the mutant, and so on and so on. Uh, I'm playing Lothar. Uh, he, he would be of the Birdman, but they are all dead. Uh, he was raised primarily by birds and uh, a 
a, ran into a hell diver fairly early on. And he learned the uh, arts of hunting and has become quite obsessed with finding greater challenges and killing them. Uh, he's not a complete amoral bastard. He mostly flies between the various tribes and brings news and deals with particularly fearsome uh, problems and beasts. And his words are bird, swift, and might. Alacrity. Alacrity, okay. Yeah, alacrity. <laughs> uh, I'm playing Thea. Um, she was originally a god from her own world and has a storied history in this one before being banished. Uh, the way that they came back in time and kind of broke everything allowed her to slip back in with a diminished power because she's now a god-bound level god instead of actual god-level god. Um, she's a goddess of the natural order and of nature. Uh, her goals are basically to take over for the local goddess of nature, Fui, because she is incompetent and terrible at her job. So Thea wants to take over and do better at it. Uh, she is about, I think about eight feet tall. Uh, she has four arms and uh, her skin's dark reddish brown uh, with wood, uh, wood grain swirls in it. Uh, her hair is a waterfall and from her back is uh, what kind of looks like a ball of cotton or spider webs with like hands and arms uh, kind of holding it in place. Uh, she has clawed feet. It's basically the most important physical attributes of hers. You took a bunch of words? Oh, yes, my words. Uh, she is. Uh, I have fertility, insects, and fairy queen. Insects. Yep. And that's okay. And that is the Pantheon. Anything else you guys want to throw out there? Mm -hmm. I think that's mostly it. I don't think we're going to go over the backstory necessarily. You should go over the backstory you guys constructed using those fucking cards. Okay. That way this will be longer than 15 minutes. I <laughs> mean, um, we're not recording. Right? Recording right now. Oh, good. Including that part. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, once again, we use the backstory cards. You can find them on DriveThruRPG and so on. Really nifty things. And we came up with various things. Um... I guess let me copy this so everyone can reference. I do not have access to Discord. So. Yeah, that's fine. So, uh, we had to set up a few events that had happened. And they kind of go like this. Um, Mateo and Thea, uh, that is Nicole and Tyler's characters, were originally rivals because they originally ran into each other and got into conflict. Um, in that conflict, Thea's right-hand man, Acer and Thea, was killed. Uh, but after the fight kind of ended, the two realized that they had the same goals or more alike than they had thought and had the same kind of ideas um, and became sort of allies and worked together and they mourned that Eastern Thay was dead. Though not really for various reasons. <laughs> uh, after that, a Fey village was found by Thea. She tried to convert them and they swore an eternal blood oath vengeance on her <laughs> because they're loyal Fui worshippers. And she's a heretic god. Um, when the colony drop occurred, Lothar tried to stop Nocturnus from terraforming and taking over the ruins of a uh, old, like, civil capital, and the Council of Nocturnus uh, doesn't like him for that, because he tried to interfere with them, you know, coming into reality. Could you stop kicking me, Nicole, under I'm the table? I'm not trying to kick you, I'm trying to use the sword. You're doing it. You're, you're kidding. Uh, during a, like, these are all 
a bit out of order because they were kind of generated on the fly and we haven't quite worded them out quite yet. But uh, during an eclipse, the Crimson Marquis sparked a rivalry between a particularly antagonistic breaker and the cult of the Woman of the Machine. Um, he basically informed them that he was in the area and like a bad kind of entity to deal with, so they've been prepping to deal with him. Um, Azazel, Peter's character, owes an outpost of the colony Manticorp uh, a life debt over something they did for him, which we'll flesh out in the game. Um, Matael, Tyler's character, is specifically not attacking that Manticore outpost or attacking their shipments for some reason. The Crimson Marquis found this out with his spies and infected pirates. Um, what he doesn't know is that uh, for Matael, it's a long column. He's lying them to a sense of security, right? She. Yep. She. Um, let's see. The Crimson Marquis spark sparked another conflict between uh, the one Helldiver they've met, the, the named one, and that antagonistic breaker, and it's not resolved. Um, I just really want that breaker dead. Yeah, you really start shit. You really do. I did. I skimmed one on purpose. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> uh, let's see. Azazel and Thea, which is Nicole and Peter's characters, uh, have a pretty good relationship. Uh, Azazel is sort of a fan of Thea's and has a sort of fanish kind of affection for her, um, mostly because they're both at fertility gods. The Crimson Marquis is interfering with Matael trying to track down that one Helldiver. Um, why did you stop him? Why are you interfering? Probably because of the events I've set off with... He was uh, going to stop him from fighting the Breaker. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if he... I'm gonna guess, like, if that breaker dies, then that might get the other breakers, or not the other breakers. If the other helldivers see that he died, then they might all be like, "Oh, well, now we have to." Blood debt. Yeah. Honor culture. Yeah, exactly. All right. During that same eclipse, the leader of Nocturnus called in a favor from Thea, because Thea uh, was able to get another copy of Acer and Fey out of their vaults because he's a multiplicious person. <laughs> Uh, they wanted her to track down Lothar, and she said no, and kind of burned that bridge. Uh, during the attack of the Spirit of Summer, which is like the actual season, uh, the Crimson Marquis was trying to save people from its rampage, and Mattel noticed and realized that he's a better person than he lets on. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there's a few others. So the one I skipped that got brought up um, was that all of the Pantheon had a shared dream about a giant lake in the desert and that Helldiver they all know um, that has to do with some sort of great and terrible uh, evil escaping, which is something the cards just generate. It's kind of amazing. Uh, so they have taken their airship from the frigid north where they live uh, and are heading southwest to the desert. Which is where session one begins, which is why I left it till the end. Yep. So that's kind of it. That's kind of the rough copy, though there'll be a better version of this online that goes into this in more detail, but introductions, you get what you pay for. Anything else, guys? Nope. I think that's it. Yeah, that sums it all. All right. Well, I'm going to call it then. So that's the introduction for Godbound, Evicting a Pistol. I was Devin. Nicole. Tyler. Kevin. Peter. Mark. And this is sponsored by Nobody, <coughs> signing off.